So, welcome to Crossroads. My name is Brad Friedline. I am uh, the senior pastor here, and so whether you're watching online or you're here with us today, I just want to welcome you also. And happy first day of spring. It has to be warm, Eric, because it's spring, right? No snow in April. None. <laughs> all righty. <laughs> We're all in for that, right? Uh, there's a quote that I want to share with you this morning, and it's going to be up on your screen. It says, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And you've probably heard this quote before. Uh, a lot of times it's associated with Winston Churchill, who used a version of this in a speech that he did back in, I believe it was like 1948 for the Parliament. But this George Santayana is the one, boy, I crucified that. Um, he's the one that is really credited for this quote. This quote becomes more real to me the older I get. Um, it was 1976 when I went to Chick. Let yourself do the math on that one, right? I can see the kids are all sitting there going, I can't add that many numbers. But the older I get, the more I see how history really repeats itself. I mean, that's the advantage, and I tell that when, I, when my kids and I are talking about various things, and we get into little discussions about stuff, no matter what it may be, I, I, I sometimes have to gently remind them of that your worldview is about this long. You know, my worldview is only this long compared to all of eternity, or well, not all of eternity, it's about that long, but you get the point I'm trying to get. It, it's, I've, I've been around the block a couple of times, and there's things that, there's some pieces of things that we're seeing today that, you know, 30, 40 years ago, we saw the same thing. It was just had a different look to it. Um, and we also see this truth in the Bible. I mean, it doesn't take us long to travel through the Old Testament. We know the books of Judges and Kings, and, you know, sometimes we call it the sin cycle. Others, uh, I like it better. Others call it the redemption cycle, because then it focuses on God and what He did rather than on Israel and what they did. I mean, we, we know the cycle, right? Um, Israel follows God, and then they take their eyes off of God and do their own thing, and then God disciplines them, and then Israel repents, and then God redeems, and then Israel follows God, and then we do the same thing. It just repeats itself, and that repetition is, uh, in my life, too sad to say, is that the other thing about being our age, my age, is that you've, I've been through this cycle a couple of times myself. The question before us this morning as we think about that is, am I ready to learn from history? Whether it's my own personal history or corporate history of, as a body or church history or the story of God history. You, you see, 
both of them are important, meaning personal and corporate. Personal is, should be a lot easier. I mean, I, I should be able to look at my own life and see where I've repeated mistakes. And, you know, it's like after the 12th, 13th, 14th time of doing the same thing and getting the same bad results, you, you know, you would think we would figure out or, uh, or on the other side, success, there are history of me doing things right, and we need to celebrate that, the harder piece is corporate, because I, I can't change you. You're, you're on your own. I can encourage you, I can maybe instruct you, or you can encourage and instruct me, but uh, the question again is, am I ready to learn from history? As we continue through 1 Corinthians, Paul's going to give us a little history lesson as we move into chapter 10. Again, the main thing uh, that Paul has been talking about and we've been looking at as we've gone through chapters 8, 9, and 10 since January, the main thing is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's, it's not my freedom. Paul hits that pretty hard. I mean, if my freedom causes a brother or sister in Christ to stumble, then Paul says, forget my freedom. I'm not going to exercise my freedom. And it's not my rights, as we heard Paul say. I mean, if, if my rights prevent the gospel from being proclaimed, well, then I'm not claiming my rights for, as we saw last or two weeks ago in chapter 9, verse 19, for though I am free from all, Paul says, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Those kind of words just mess with me. They do. I mean, um, I've made myself a servant to all. Servant to all. That's Paul. That's his challenge for us. Am I willing to be a servant to all that I might win more people? Paul talked about, in continuing in chapter 9 that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, about running the race to win the prize. And if you, the one who runs the way, race to win the prize, they discipline themselves so that they can win. And for Paul, the, price is, the prize is winning some, making disciples. And so just like an athlete is what he push, points out, or whether it could be a musician or an artist or a business owner or whatever, just like they discipline themselves to be successful in their area, Paul's like, Here's the deal. When it comes to proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, discipline yourself to win the prize. Paul continues to drive home this idea of living a disciplined life, a life that is disciplined around proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And he continues this topic as we move into chapter 10, and he makes this point by looking at history, the history of the Israelites, the history of the Israelites when they were in the wilderness. And so, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 
10, or the words will be up on the screen. We're going to start with verse 1. We're just going to read the first five verses right now, and we'll get into more of it as we move forward. But here we are, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. For I do not want uh, you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. You see, for the Jewish people, the Exodus story, the story of God leading the Israelites out of Egypt and into the wilderness is the central piece of their story. It's where for the Jewish people, that's the start of their journey. Yes, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, their stories are important, but for Jewish people, the Exodus is the the center story because it is their story of salvation. They were saved from slavery by God. And all of the Israelites were led out of Egypt. And all of the Israelites, this is what Paul is saying, all the Israelites were brought to the sea and they were baptized in, into Moses as they crossed the Red Sea. They were all part of that. And when they all got into the wilderness and they were all hungry and they were all thirsty, they were all fed the same spiritual food or manna. They were the same spiritual drink from the rock, which is Christ. All of them. Paul wants us to know that they all experience the same thing. And then he adds these words. And God was not pleased with most of them. They all experience it. All of them. But God was not pleased with most of them. And so Paul wants to show us here why God was not pleased with them, and maybe we can learn something from their story. And so there, we're going we're gonna to come to four examples that we're going to see in a minute, but I, I want us to see where Paul just tells us these are examples for us to learn. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 says this, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Paul is telling us this story, and he's wanting us to know that this story is there for us to learn. We have an opportunity not to repeat history. If we pay attention to what the Israelites did or didn't do, we can learn. And it's interesting that he says to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. After Paul 
talks about these four things, which we're going to get to. He says in verse 11, I just want to point out how he reiterates this example thing. Verse 11, he says this, These things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Again, what happened in the wilderness is written down. It's for us, for us, at the culmination of the ages to come. And what Paul is talking about, we are living in this culmination of the ages because for Paul, he's talking about when Christ came. So, the story of Israel being saved from slavery and brought into the wilderness for Paul is a foreshadowing of the story of Christ coming, dying on the cross, rising again, and leading us out of slavery to the world. In other words, our lives that we are experiencing today are similar to the lives of the Israelites wandering the wilderness. Sometimes we associate our life to being in the promised land. We, we, we've been in the promised land. No, 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 no. Not, not according to Paul, not according to here. Our life that we're experiencing right now is similar to the life of the Israelites moving into the promised land someday. You see, what we know is we are foreigners here. This is not our home. Our home is in eternity with Christ. When Christ comes again, and it's the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, that's our promised land. And part of our dilemma, which we will see, is that most of us are trying to experience our promised land here. Now, Christ has come, and his kingdom is near, and yes, we will experience bits and pieces of his kingdom. But what we have to understand is, this isn't the end. What we will see in a minute is, this is our training ground for the kingdom of God. Verse 12 of chapter 10, Paul says this, So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Some in the church in Corinthians thought they were all that. They had all the knowledge. They had all the, they had all the workings of the Spirit. They had the gifts of the Spirit. All the kind of stuff going on. And they thought they were all that. Remember, he talked about pride earlier on. Like in about chapter 3, he talks about boasting in themselves and head knowledge. Paul is trying to tell them, be careful. You think you're all that. The Israelites thought they were all that. And they stumble. So now let's, let's get back to our four examples. And so we're going to look at these four examples, which are lessons for us today. Example one is they were idolaters. 1 Corinthians 10, 7 says this, Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, 
the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Now, I've highlighted two parts of this verse, do not be, and some of them were, because you will notice as we go through these four examples, Paul says a version of that in each of these four examples. He says, do not be, boom, tells us what it is, and as some of them were, and we'll see that in just a minute. What Paul is quoting here as the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry is from Exodus 32. Israel has just been brought into the wilderness. Moses goes up to the mountain and to go speak with the Lord. And it's Moses spends 40 days up there. And this is, in this 40 days is where he receives what we know as the Ten Commandments and the law and those kind of things. But, but notice this. Um, the people got a little impatient, right? Where's Moses? He's been gone for like 40 days. The, the problem for the people, why they got impatient is because they tied the existence of God to one man, Moses. They, ex- they tied communication to God with one man, Moses, and when Moses left and hadn't shown up for a whole bunch of days, they were like, wow, we've got to figure out another way we're going to communicate with God. And so, coming out of Egypt, where there were many gods, they just chose another one. gathered all their gold, made a calf, and started worshiping something else. They made the idol, and they started dancing. They started worshiping revelry, I, I like some of the versions talk about and they went to play. And I think it's interesting because um, the Hebrew word actually means to play like a child. That says a lot, right? So the people sat down to eat and drink and then they got up and played like a bunch of children. What, what, what a picture, right? What What do we know about children? Children, they love to play, they're carefree, but at the same time, they're very selfish. Paul's warning from history for us is don't be impatient with God. Don't make your own God. Don't worship your knowledge. Don't worship your freedom and your rights. Don't put anything before God, because if you do, you will stumble. You will take your eyes off of God. In other words, to put a positive twist on this, boast in the Lord. Worship the Lord in everything. God is number one. The second example that Paul gives us here is this. They committed committed sexual immorality. 
All right? Let's see what verse 8 says. Verse 8 says, here we go, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. In one day, 23,000 of them died. The Greek word here for sexual immorality is pornuvo, which is different than pornea. Pornea we talked about last fall, and pornea is just sexual immorality. It's any kind of sexual behavior outside of the covenant relationship between a man and a woman. This Greek word, pornuvo, is more to do with prostitution. Paul gets this story from Numbers 25, and it says this in Numbers 25. The men begin to prostitute themselves with the daughters of Moab. This is what was going on. Um, the men began to, and, and remember, back in that day, the man had a dowry, right? And he brought the dowry to the bride's father, okay, and they, to have this covenant relationship. God had told them, only have covenant relationships with other Israelites. Don't go to the other countries, the other countries that worship other gods, and yet the men in, in the Hebrew, in Numbers, talks about the men prostituted themselves by coming into marriage with women from Moab. Why this was an issue is because in time, the wives from Moab began to invite the people of God to Bow down to the gods of Moab. As a result, 23,000 men died of a plague. Psalms 106 recounts this story, and it says that the Israelites yoked themselves with the gods of Moab. And as we know, yoke, Pastor John talked about this a little bit last week in his message, a yoke is you have two oxen and they're plowing and the yoke keeps the oxen tied together so that they go the same direction. And the psalmist in 109, 106 says, the Israelite men yoked themselves with the gods of Moab. The warning for us from the history of Israel is not to yoke yourself with someone or something other than God. Don't tie yourself so you end up having to go a direction other than the direction God has laid out for you. The question here is, am I yoking myself with someone or something that is drawing me away from God. In other words, as Pastor John said last week, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. For my burden is light. My yoke is easy. We are to be yoked with Christ. The third example that Paul gives is they tested Christ. In 1 Corinthians 10, 9 says this, we should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. That's a lovely picture, right? 
Exodus 17 and Numbers 21 is where this comes from. The people quarreled with Moses because they didn't have water to drink. And so they were quarreling with Moses, give us water to drink. And Moses says, why do you quarrel with me and why do you test the Lord? In Numbers 21 of this story, it says that God sent them snakes and many of them died that day. Again, the people became impatient. And they were going, why have you brought us into the wilderness? Psalm 78 recounts this story about being, testing God and their hearts demanding food and water. And it says that God's anger rose because they did not believe in God. They did not trust God. God. Verse 23 of Psalm 78 says, Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven. In other words, the psalmist is saying they didn't believe in God. They tested God and yet God opened the heavens and provided food from heaven and provided water from a rock. Can you see God at work or are you so busy looking at what you don't have? Verse 32, in spite of God providing, they still sinned. Despite his wander, wonders, they did not believe. Verse 37, their heart was not steadfast towards him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Paul's warning to the church in Corinth is this, don't test Christ, don't quarrel with God. Don't demand what you want because when you quarrel with God, when you test Christ, you're forgetting all that he has already done. Demanding things from God can set your heart on evil because as James says, Envy and selfish ambition are wisdom from this world, and envy and selfish ambition are demonic and evil. So for this one, to put a positive twist, don't test Christ, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The fourth and last example that Paul gives is that they grumbled. Let's see what Paul says in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 10. He says, And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angels. This comes from Numbers 14, 2. And all the people grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And this is the story of when they came to the promised land the first time and they sent the 12 spies in and the 12 spies come out and 10 of the spies say, no, we can't go in there. They're giants. And two of the spies say, yes, we can do it. This is the promised land. God has promised it to us. We can do it. And the people began to grumble because of the giants in the other land. And they said to Moses and Aaron, we're better off staying in Egypt and dying as slaves. 
They would rather be in slavery than face what they needed to face to enter the promised land. For me, I think Paul is saying, be careful about grumbling about what you're experiencing here on earth. Be careful about grumbling about all the hardships you may be facing in this world because remember, our battle's not against flesh and blood and remember we are aliens here. Christ will return and when he comes there will be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem and we will be ushered into the promised land take heart my people for God is faithful and God is good and he will lead us into the promised land in other words rather than grumbling focus on the kingdom of God. Focus on what he is doing and how he is at work. There are, and we know this, Christians around the world who are experiencing suffering like we have never known and they are rejoicing in the Lord. Paul ends this section in verse 13 with a promise. The promise is this, that God is faithful. Look at verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God is faithful. He shows his faithfulness to us. By this, in the midst of you, your struggling, you can experience his peace. It doesn't mean life will be easy. That's not the promise here. It doesn't mean you will not be tempted. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have a hard day at work or in your family. It doesn't mean any of that. It means that whatever the temptation you are faithful, facing, God is faithful and he will provide a way out. Now, his way out may not be what we want. And that's the hard part of this whole journey with Christ. His way out may be totally different for the Israelites their way out meant 40 years in the wilderness. Why? Because God needed to get Egypt out of them. They were out of Egypt, but Egypt was in them. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Remember, whenever they grumbled early on, they were always, man, if we could go back to the leeks and the onions and the fish of Egypt. But when they were 40 years into it, when they were grumbling, because they still grumbled 40 years later, now they were wanting the fruit of the promised land. Their desire changed from going back to moving forward, and God wants you to move forward. He doesn't want to take you back. But know this, forward 
takes time. Forward takes perseverance. Forward takes facing the hard stuff. But the promised land is there. The promised land is there. It is promised and God is faithful. So join me and I encourage you to learn from the history of the Israelites. Boast in the Lord. Know nothing but Jesus and Him crucified. Yoke yourself with Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and put your trust in the faithfulness of God who says Christ will come again and when He comes again we will be ushered into glory with Him forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen.